what a subject we have this morning. I don't think I could have had a more uh, wonderful subject than the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have in our series been looking at how what we know affects our hearts, and by affecting our hearts, our emotions, how that plays out in our lives, how it changes things in our lives. We looked at the Word of God, the Bible, uh, what we know about it, and how does it affect us? How does it touch us? How does it change our lives? We looked at God, uh, and especially at the Trinity, of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But again, it's all knowledge. And as we come <clears throat> to the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, again, we're looking at what we know about him, but we're also wondering, how does that touch me? The word that Drew used often was captivate me. Does that knowledge captivate me? Or does it just stay up there in my head? Does it reach my heart? Does it reach my hands, my action, my life? We're going to look at that very specially today in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to ask right at the beginning for help to hand out some pieces of paper. Thanks. That's just to make sure that I stay in line, to remind me, and also to help you maybe when you go home, take those uh, references that are on the piece of paper there, look them up yourself, and allow God to continue to speak to you through his word. While you're getting those, uh, we're putting up on the screen the doctrinal basis of faith that we have in the church here, 1.3. Sounds good, doesn't it? Uh, on the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read it to you. The essential deity and perfect humanity of our Lord Jesus Christ, the only mediator between God and men, his virgin birth, his sinless life, and sacrificial death on the cross as the only substitute for sinners. His burial, his bodily resurrection and ascension to heaven, his high priestly ministry and personal return. Now that has you worried because if I have to go through all that, uh, we'll be here until well into the afternoon. I want to just highlight three aspects there of the Lord Jesus that we're going to look at. On the first two lines, the first line, the essential deity well, to put it very simply, that means that he is God. Okay, nothing more than that. The essential deity of Christ. He is God. And then on the second line there, we have his name. Our Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to highlight two parts of that name. He is Lord. And he is Jesus. So we're going to look at the person of the Lord Jesus. We're going to first of all see <clears throat> what we know about him. He is God. He is Jesus. He is Lord. Is that important for us? 
Well, I think we all agree it is important to know who this Jesus is. So let's make sure that we have the knowledge about him, first of all. When we come, <coughs> sorry, when we come to he is God, John is very clear right at the very beginning of his gospel. John 1, 1. In the beginning was the word. The word is Jesus. It was a word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. Right at the beginning, the statement there, the word, Jesus Christ, was God. Nothing could be clearer, but as we look at his life, we see all the aspects of God in Christ Jesus. All the attributes and aspects that we know God has, we see them in Christ. Very quickly, just going through some of them, and this is only some of them, he's eternal. That doesn't mean that he just lives forever. It means that he has always lived. It means that he's outside of time itself. We'll see that uh, in a minute or two. John, again, in, in, that, in those first few verses in his gospel, as he says, the word was God. He goes on to say, and the word was with God in the beginning. That reminds us of Genesis 1-1, doesn't it? In the beginning. The Word was with God in the beginning. Jesus himself, uh, in that famous prayer to his Father in John 17, he made two references to the fact that he was always there, even before the world was created. He asked, Father, glorify me with the glory that I had before the world existed. You loved me before the foundation of the world. I always smile when I think of the time when he stood in front of the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders who hated him. I suppose because of this that he, he was claiming to be God. And they hated him for that. They called it blaspheming. Their hero was Abraham. And Jesus came off with that famous soundbite. So important. He said, before Abraham was, I am. There were two things in that little sound bite. First of all, he took the title, I am. And those Jewish leaders knew that's God. That's Jehovah God, who is the I am. And Jesus himself said, before Abraham was, I am. But also notice he didn't say, before Abraham was, I was. He's the eternal one. There is no past, present, future with God. He's above, he created time. He's above time. Before Abraham was, I am. Always present. Always I am. Doesn't matter whether we're looking in the Old Testament, the New Testament, or today. He's the I am. The ever-present one. Not only is he eternal, he's the creator. We know God created the world. Well, he was there. John, again, as he goes on, as he says, the word was God. The word was with God in the beginning. All things were made, through, were created through him. There wasn't anything made that wasn't made by him. 
in the Colossians we read uh, there too. All things were created through him and for him. I like even the, the writer to the Hebrews. He says he sustains all things with the power of his word. I love that because it wasn't just that he created all things and then set it all out there and said, right, let it get on with itself. He's still sustaining the planets around us, the universe around us, our own earth, our seasons, our night, our day, our plants that are growing. He's still still sustaining his creation. He goes on, he hasn't just left it. He sustains all things by the power of his word. Not only is he creator, he's holy. God is holy. We know God is holy. The demons knew he was holy. When Jesus cast out a demon, we read in Mark chapter 1, that demon coming out of a man shouted, We know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Even the demons knew that he was the Holy One. Again, the writer to the Hebrews tells us, He's holy, separated from sinners. Without sin. All the writers, John, uh, Paul, Peter, they all wrote about that. He committed no sin. In him was no sin. He knew no sin. This is the Holy... As as, uh, Peter writes, when he writes of them, as the Lamb of God, the Lamb without blemish or spot. The Holy One. Oh, we could go on. All these attributes of God are found in the Lord Jesus Christ. All knowing. <laughs> I always smile. So many times we read in Scripture, times when he was with a group of people and they were mumbling to each other about something that he had said, or sometimes it was just in their minds. They were thinking about something and then he would say, Oh, you're, you're talking about such and such. You're thinking about this. And he would answer them. He knew all things. The disciples knew that and they said that in John 16. You know all things. Remember Peter? When he was asked, do you love me? And he turned to Jesus and he says, you know all things. Right deep down inside me, you know that I love you. You know all things. The all-knowing one. The almighty one. The one in whom... He could say he has all authority, all power. <laughs> the disciples would remember that day they were on the Sea of Galilee. A storm, going up, a scary storm. Some of them were fishermen, but they'd never been in a storm like this. They thought they were going to drown. And Jesus stood up in that boat. And he just said to the wind and the waves, peace be still. And they just dropped down. And those... <laughs> The disciples' faces dropped as well. They were amazed. Even the wind and the waves obey him. He's almighty. He's almighty over loaves and fishes. He's almighty over water that can be turned into wine. He's almighty over life itself. He's almighty in all things. He is almighty. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. This is the deity of Christ. He is God. 
we also notice that he's called Jesus. I think by now we probably all know what Jesus means. It means Savior, the one who saves. You know, it wasn't Mary and Joseph who decided on that name. God himself told both of them he's to be called Jesus. Because he will save his people from their sins. John 3.16, we know it so well. God loved the world so much that he gave his only son. In the next verse, it tells us there that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. The Savior, the one that John the Baptist pointed out. Look, he's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And a whole town of Sychar, when Jesus went and sat amongst them for a couple of days and talked to them. And they were able to say, now we've heard him for ourselves. Now we know that this is the Savior of the world. John writes, he's the atoning sacrifice for our, for our sins. Lambs and bulls had been sacrificed many times through the years for sins, to cover sins. But none of them could take away the sin. But Jesus is the atoning sacrifice, a sacrifice that atoned for sins, that, that took away sin, that paid for sin and took it away. Peter writes that Jesus died for sins once for all. Only one death needed, only one sacrifice is needed, one sacrifice for all, for all people to bring you to God. You see, that was a whole problem, isn't it? We have a holy God and we have me, a sinner. And the gap that's there, and doesn't matter how much I want to be with God, my sin separates me from him. It keeps me out of heaven. I can never enter heaven as a sinner and with my sin. There's no sin going into heaven and there's no sin ever going to be in heaven. And that gap that is there between a holy God and me and you and everyone in this world as sinners. Jesus came and died for sins to bring us. You want to know God? You want to be close to God? You want to have that relationship with him? You want to go to his heaven, to kingdom of heaven? You want to go there? Jesus is the one that brings us to him. He's the only one because he died for our sins. Oh, that we can understand that. And I hope each one of us here understands that. There is no salvation. Peter himself standing again in front of the, all the religious leaders. He says there's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. It's the name of Jesus. No salvation anywhere else. Oh, how we need to understand that. There's no use in trying other ways. Jesus said, I am the way. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's the one 
who brings us to God, who's a saviour. He's the Lord. You see that? He's the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we know that he's the Lord. What a title that he has, Lord. No, it's not a title. It's who he is. He is Lord. We read in Revelation of that that's given to him. He is that he is the king of all kings. He is the Lord of all lords. And it's not just a title. That's who he is. It's important for us to understand that. Just before Jesus went to the cross, as he was with the disciples, he said to them, You call me Lord, and that is who I am. So follow my example. Lord means master. The one who is in in charge of me. He says, you call me Lord. But calling him Lord isn't enough. Let me read to you just some words that Jesus uh, said. I'm reading them from Matthew chapter 7. And Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. says, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, cast out demons in your name, and do many mighty works in your name? And Jesus says, and then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me. You see, it's not enough that we call him Lord. It's not just a title. He says, I never knew you. And there will be so many who will be so disappointed because they've done all the religious things that they've been told to do. They've called him Lord. They've done things in his name. But they never knew him and he didn't know them. Jesus, when he talks of himself as the the, the good shepherd, says, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. You know him. It's a relationship with him. Not knowing about him. So far we're just learning about him. Or thinking about him. But Jesus talked of a knowledge that was relationship. Even to those who belong to him. He had to say to them one time. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And not do what I tell you? it's so easy for us to call him Lord to sing to him as Lord, to pray to him as Lord how we acknowledge the fact that he is called the Lord Jesus Christ and yet do we accept him as our master as the one who is in charge of our lives you know one day Every knee will bow to him. Every knee. Every knee in heaven. Every knee on earth. Every knee under the earth. That doesn't leave very many. That doesn't leave any. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Not is called Lord. Is Lord. 
lost. It does bring our quest, a question to us. Do we accept him as our Lord and Master? Is he my Lord? He's God. He's Jesus, Savior. He's Lord. We've got it all up here. We know it. And we know the truth of it from God's word itself. Does it touch us in any way? In our hearts? In our lives? Or is it only up there? Does it stay up there? Well, yes, we could answer and we could we could do a Bible quiz and answer all the questions about the Lord Jesus. We know it. And yet our hearts can be totally untouched by it. Does it captivate us? I was just thinking of uh, those two disciples on the way to that village of Emmaus. They didn't realize Jesus had just risen from the dead, but Jesus walked along beside them. They didn't even know who he was. And he talked to them, and he opened his, the word of God to them. The scriptures explained them to them. Later on, when they realized who it was, there as they sat at their table in the house in the little village of Emmaus, they said, did not our hearts burn within us? As he talked to us in the way, as he explained the scriptures to us. I'm wondering, in one sense, I'm explaining the scriptures here, but I can't touch a heart that's here. God's Spirit is seeking to touch hearts. Does anything that we have thought about, that we have already made sure we knew in our minds, does any of it burn within our hearts? I think of Peter standing up in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost in front of thousands of religious people, and he had just told them, God made Jesus who you crucified, he has made him Lord. And then we read, they were touched to their heart. They were cut to their heart. It touched their heart so much so that they asked, what do we need to do? Is that a question that's on our minds? If we think of the knowledge we have about the Lord Jesus. What do I need to do? We're going to look at a testimony of one disciple, Thomas, from John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you're using the Bible in the chair in front of you, it's on page 1089. John chapter 20, and we're just going to read from verse 24 to 31. I think most of you will know what's happening here. Jesus has died on the cross. He has been raised from the dead. He has appeared to many of the disciples, but Thomas missed it. He wasn't there. And he says, well, I can't believe until I see him. Let's read from verse 24 of John chapter 20. I'm going to read to, down to the end of the chapter. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. 
But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these ones are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. I'm sure you notice those words of Thomas. We're not told that he fell down on his knees. We're not told how he cried out or anything like that, although it's very hard to imagine that those were uh, words that came out of his mouth without an emotion. My Lord and my God. What happened? What happened that day as Jesus stood in front of Thomas? Jesus became personal to Thomas. The very first thing that Jesus did as he stood in front of Thomas said, see my hands. See my side. I I don't know if Thomas even touched those hands or touched his side. I have a feeling he didn't. It was enough for him to see those hands. We're not talking here of, oh yes, you're alive. What did he see in those hands? He saw they were pierced. He saw a side that was pierced. Thomas, he was a good Jew. He might not have known all the scriptures, but he would have known Isaiah 53. He would have known those verses well. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds we are healed. I can just see Thomas looking at those hands. Jesus saying, see my hands. And immediately in Thomas's mind, now I understand. Now it makes sense. His hands were pierced for my sin. That's what he was talking about in the upper room before he went to the cross when he, we sat around the table and he shared the bread and he shared the cup. This is my body given for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Oh, he wouldn't have understood it at that time, but now it all made sense. He was pierced for my sins. By his wounds, I am healed for my sin. And you know what? I have no doubt at that moment, as the scales fell from his eyes, he realized, this is my Savior, the one who gave himself for me. Your Savior? 
was almost a savior. Your savior? We also saw Jesus standing there alive. He says, my God. He would have seen the godness, if you like, or the deity of of Christ there. He's alive. He was dead. I know he was dead. But now he's alive, standing in front of me. Now he can understand what Jesus meant when he said, I am the life. And he would remember those words of the Lord Jesus, because I live, you also will live. Oh, how empty those words must have seemed while he was on the cross, when his dead body was taken down and put into a tomb and a stone rolled in front of it. Because I live, you also will live. But now here's a God of life standing in front of him. The one who has all power is the one who is life itself. His resurrection means Thomas's resurrection. The hope that was before him that Jesus had told them of, I'm going to come back for you. I'm preparing a place. That hope that was there, now it was real because he is a God of life. Now he says, my God. Not just God, my God. Your God? God of your life? He holds your life in his hands. He tells us our days are in his hands. Our times are in his hands. He controls that. Or is it possible that we live so much of our lives trying to control that ourselves? Trying to control our days. We can't. They're already set. The God of life has set the date of our birth, the date of our death as well. It's already there. We can't lengthen it. We can't shorten it. He's the God of life. Are we willing to accept and hand ourselves over to him as our God, as Thomas was? My God. Can I depend on him? Can I leave things with him? Knowing that he is in control, do I really believe he's in control? We've mentioned before about being a Christian atheist. Oh, how we would love to convince those who claim that they are atheists, no, there is a God, and we want to convince them that there's a God, and yet how easy it is for my life to be lived as if God isn't there. I don't depend on him. I depend on my own understanding. I depend on my own wisdom. I try and control things. Is he your God? Is he in control of all? Is he in control of life itself? So Peter or Thomas also said, My Lord. That's the first time Thomas had called him Lord. He had called him my Lord. He had called him Lord many times. He knew he was the Lord, the Master. But now as he stood in front of him, he said, My Lord. My master. The one that I'm willing to to allow him to guide me. That I'm willing to let him lead me in my life. 
that I'm worthy, that he is worthy of my obedience in everything. My master, my Lord. It made a big difference to Thomas. His heart had been touched. His life had been changed. You can read in Acts chapter 1, there's Thomas with the disciples. Jesus telling him, go to Jerusalem, stay there, wait. What does Thomas do? He goes to Jerusalem, he stays there, he waits. Along with the other disciples, they're there at the prayer meeting. They're there. They're named there. In Acts 1, Thomas is there because that's in obedience to the command of the Lord. He's my Lord. Even in that, as a fellowship together, when decisions had to be made, those decisions, they went to the Lord. You, Lord, know all things. You show us. He's my Lord. And the blessing that came to Thomas and those other disciples as the Holy Spirit came upon them, filled them, indwelt them, empowered them that day on the day of Pentecost. Because Thomas had been willing to say, My Lord, your Lord. Oh, that we could never hear those words of the Lord Jesus. Why do you, do you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I tell you? Knowledge is not enough. It just stays there. Our hearts burn within us. Our hearts cut. Our hearts captivated by the Lord Jesus. So much so that our lives are different. As we live our day-to-day living on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday. We live with Jesus Christ as my God, my Savior, my Lord. Is it? Father, I just ask that your spirit will speak to each one of our hearts this morning. Make our hearts burn at every thought that comes from our minds of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Change our lives, we pray. Mold us, we pray, to be more like him, to be more obedient to him. To know him as my Savior, my God, my Lord. Thank you for him, Father. In his own precious name. Amen. We started this this morning, or Tim started us this morning, pointing us to see the Lord Jesus as he shared in Hebrews 2. Hebrews 12 to fixing our eyes on Jesus. I'd like us just in the quietness, just remaining seated, uh, 
hymn will go up, a hymn that many of you will know. Some of you may not know it, but it will be sung for us. But I want you very much just to take note of the words as it is sung, that we can have a sight of our Savior. Give me a sight, O Savior, of your wondrous love to me, of the love that brought thee down to earth to die at Calvary. O make me understand it. Help me to take it in, what it meant to thee, the Holy One, to bear away my sins.